rings of Saturn are so sexy And Jupiter's got that red spot Pluto and Eris are just dwarves But they get me twice as hot Oh, planet four The solar system really turns me on I'm floating through your galaxy your milky way is all over me I'll spread my legs for Venus Welcome back to Queer Horror Cult, live from Pandemic 2K20. Oh, yeah. Yep, this is our first episode that we've kind of recorded since the shit really hit the fan. So At least think, in yeah. the public discourse kind of thing. Slash in the West. Because <laughs> uh, you, you were um, actually just talking to me before I, before we go any further. I am Laurie. Oh, yes. Arya, hi. Nice hi, to meet you. Hi, we're your hosts, in case this is your first time tuning in. Um, but yes, you were... new podcast listeners because of the pandemic, social distancing, isolation, quarantine. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Uh, I hope you're social distancing. You know, like yes. don't, don't be don't be shitty about it and all that kind of stuff. Please. Um, and when I say that, I realize that some people they they're in precarious positions where they don't really have an option mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I'm not calling them shitty or anything. No, like but that. do the best you can within your circumstances. But when you see all the people that are just like. Virus ain't gonna take us down. St. Patty's Day, bro. First it was Al-Qaeda, now it's the virus, and it's just like, it's not please, please anything stop. works. Please just go away. Yeah, like, for example, I am, both my work and my practicum right now, they're both considered, like, essential services. It's right. funny, they're essential enough to be open during a pandemic, which I agree with, as long as it's possible, but they're not essential enough to be funded as part of healthcare funding, so they can, the services can actually be accessible to those who need it most. It's almost as if the way society is constructed under capitalism is entirely bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I'm oh start, I'm starting to think that might <sighs> my, be the case. My brain just expanded a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was saying, because um, I had mentioned, like, you know, our first one from the, in the throes of this... Uh, Mm-hmm. social distancing stuff in the West and all that stuff. But um, you were just talking to me earlier about how there was info coming out about this like as far back as December. That's what I had that. a client telling me. But people didn't listen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, part of it was, um, according to him, being you know suppressed to an extent. But yeah. yeah. It's just like uh, the U.S. is trying to do right now. They're trying to suppress it in like a really... Really, by not yeah, we, a transparent kind of way. Yes. Like, there's no virus because <laughs> we're not, we're not testing for it, therefore it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it, it really feels like a three year old clamping their hands under their, over their eyes, and it's like if you nah, can't nah, see nah, me, nah. I can't see you. Totally, kind of thing. like that's a hundred percent what it feels like. Yeah, it's a little bit scary. Um, um, but uh, yeah, going back to what I was saying, because uh, when it comes to like social distancing stuff like that, like you know, working in an essential service, I have to go to work. Yeah. I mean, my um, where I am, it's very flexible. If I was one of the people who, like, some of my uh, 
coworkers, can I call them that in my practicum? I don't know. Some of the other people, clinicians in the clinic, um, they have school-age kids who, yeah. as they found out, like, yesterday night, can't go to school anymore because the schools are closed. Yeah. So they're, you know, luckily we have the flexibility that they can take the week off as needed until things are set up for them to be able to do, like, telecounseling from home if possible, stuff like that. Right. But um, that being said... I still have to go into the office if I'm not isolating or sick or something. So in that sense, I'm not like social distancing, but still within that, for those of us who have to do that, there's still things we can do. For example, the offices I'm in, they've stopped offering refreshments. They've separated, you know, they've they've made the waiting rooms a lot more sparse and spaced out and stuff. So like, you know, harm reduction, mitigation, do what you can. Try not to feel like a failure if yeah. you have to work and you have to go out. Like, mm-hmm. it's not all or nothing. Let's just do the best you can. Whereas I have a bit of a head cold right now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really feel like anything more than a head cold, but I'm not going to fuck around with that. So I've, exactly. I'm glad we did our uh, shopping already and we're sort of like set. Food. So if I need to stay here for two weeks, yeah. I can go ahead and do that. And what that means for you, dear listener, is maybe we'll finally stop fucking around with this every other week bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about doing every other week. It's like, no, we can do every week. And then it turned out for like the last month and a half, we've done every other week. Crisis after crisis after crisis. (laughs) Yeah, so, but now that the crisis is stay in your home and watch movies kind of thing, like, um, it's a little more minimal. I feel like we can kind of podcast, we can, uh, kind of catch up again. Mm -hmm. And, um, that we are. Uh, we are doing a complete 180 from our, our last one of talking about the social politics of Parasite and stuff like that. And we are diving back into the well of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. This is another live, laugh, Lovecraft. Yeah, it is. Um, I feel like I want to definitely get the record out there. I think I did a good job of shoring this up last time. But just to reiterate. Um, but just to reiterate, fuck Lovecraft. Um, Fuck that guy. I am a huge fan of cosmic horror, and I quite like his writings and stuff associated with it. But at the same time, the dude is like, was an intolerable racist. And people say, oh, a product of the times. But I mean, for the 1920s, he was an intolerable racist kind of thing. And it's like, plus, even beyond that, the whole like product of the times only goes so far because there were people that didn't believe that in the time. And Mm -hmm. they're the people that helped guide us to where we are today. It's not like uh, you can't just blanket statement. Everyone thought that 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 racism was okay, And then some nebulous thing from (laughs) out of space made them all realize maybe we shouldn't be racist. That's not how it works. No, it was active organizing, Um, struggling. Like, yeah. But I think uh, Cosmic Horror does owe a debt of gratitude to his writings, as Mm -hmm. well as the way that he was very open with allowing other people to kind of, like, get in on the whole mythos he was creating. Right. That's why so many aspects of it are from other writers, and it's such an expanded thing. Like, if you have uh, played any of the Cthulhu-based board games or anything like that, you'll see stuff about, like, Hastor, the King in Yellow and stuff. That wasn't a Lovecraft creation. That was a different writer writing in that. And so I think because of that, cosmic horror really kind of is indebted to Mm -hmm. that but i feel like it's because it's kind of it's sort of eclipsed him Mm -hmm. as opposed to therefore he can do no wrong and we have to forgive all this bullshit so anytime we bring up lovecraft on this show which apparently is a lot i I wasn't quite (laughs) expecting that but apparently it's a a lot lot. um i think it's worth reiterating fuck that guy Mm -hmm. 
thank you for your writings, now fuck off. <laughs> because you can't even separate the art from the artist, because a lot of his, like, fear of the unknown is so rooted Straight in racism Straight up xenophobia. And, and so you almost have to be able to transcode it or, like, look at it, it's like, okay, what ideals in that make for good horror yes. that he didn't fuck up. It's almost like, and I almost hate to, to slag on the guy for how people perceive him, but at the same time, he's kind of shitty, so it's kind of like how Stephen King can't write women for shit, <laughs> and uh, there's so much bad racism in some of his early work right. kind of thing, but that gets... I actually saw the tweet the yeah, other day. Yeah, you sent it to me. It was, uh, Stephen King is gonna be remembered like we remember H.P. Lovecraft for bad and for good kind right. of thing, and it's like, that's probably very true, that you know? probably tracks, yeah. Because, yeah, dude did a lot of, like, really entertaining sort of pulpy horror novels, I also read that excerpt from The Stand. That was some of the most racist shit I've read that mm. I thought, like, how was this written in the 70s or whenever the fuck he wrote it? Right. Like, this looks like shit from, like, 1910. Yeah. Like, this looks like H.P. Lovecraft-level racism. Mm-hmm. So are you going to say, oh, just a product of the time? Are you going to use trot that one out again? The cat just jumped up in front of my face. Yeah, we've got a horror movie going on here where cats are just jumping out of nowhere. Yes. Startle response yeah. activated. But yeah, this didn't start as a Lovecraft episode, did it? No, um, it did not. It just kind of devolved into that. Uh, we were originally going to do Terror from Beyond the Stars. Yeah, because and we base this around wanting to watch and discuss co- Color Out of Space. Yes. As in the newest iteration of that. Yeah, and that was going to be one of a bunch of, of other ones. But then I realized that this is one of his more adapted works. And uh, we kind of wanted to check out his other, the other adaptations of it after seeing Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space. Mm-hmm. And it kind of turned into, like, let's just do an episode on Color Out of Space. Also, I think one of the decisions that influenced that was that sick-ass deep Carol reference I came up with as an episode yeah. title. Yeah, that, that helped. So we had to make it exclusive to sure. Color Out of Space. I'm so proud of that one. You usually come up with the banger titles, but I'm really proud of this one. It was you this time. (laughs) Yeah, I just wonder how much of our audience will get it. I hope that the queer and queer horror cult will mean that everyone that listens to this is seeing Carol. Yes. I say lesbians, we see you. Mm -hmm. And other Carol appreciators, you are valid too. Yeah, absolutely. Which is funny because the first movie we watched for this wasn't Lovecraft related at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like we'll definitely have to return to it at a later date because it was a banger as well absolutely there's no saying we can't do terror from beyond the stars oh absolutely but that that's Just what we thought this episode was gonna yes. be and then we realized it wasn't mm-hmm. no we did color out of space and i guess we're doing this in reverse chronological order yeah we are because uh, the first one we watched was color out of space 2019 by richard stanley slash 2020 depending on where you look I yeah. know it started coming doing the festival circuit and stuff in 2019. It had a, I think, I can't remember where the limited release was. I think the limited release in Canada was beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think um, I was looking, I, I came across it on like a library, public library listing, and they had it listed as 2020. Oh, cool. Because, yeah, it had done like, uh, I believe it was at like Toronto After Dark and right. stuff like that. Um, no, I, this was a SpectreVision one, so that really had me down and it had nick cage so this is a great pairing with mandy yes cosmic horror specter vision nick cage you know like fun colors there's, there's more than one movie that that fits that bill and there are going to be even more i'm into it so much from the sound because you told me that they. Go- i don't know if nick cage is involved or not oh, but okay. uh yeah richard stanley's uh, the idea is that this is the first of a trilogy and next he wants to adapt dunwich horror dope which the only dunwich horror i've seen is the 70s flick that it's very dated i had a lot mm. of fun with it but it's very dated okay so it'll be nice to see a fresh contemporary take yeah so maybe when dunwich horror drops uh we'll have to 
revisit this, and we'll do that each time Richard Stanley, like, sharts out a, a new H.P. Lovecraft. Does he sharts out? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the movie... After, after taking some of those, like, those uh, body-safe um, glitter pills that you buy on oh Etsy. Oh, my God. So you can have glitter poops. Yeah. Yes. No, that, that, saying the, the verb sharts makes it sound like I didn't like this <laughs> movie. Like, I actually thought good. it was very well done. Yes. And it's interesting to hear you say that, because the vibe I was getting off you while we're watching this, it just shows that I can't read you very well. <laughs> was not the first time you told me that. You thought it was stupid. Like, I got the impression that you were not liking it. Oh, wow. Um, interesting. I think it's because you would ask questions when plot inconsistencies would come up in that corner. Oh. Like, how could this be? And that was the only reaction I heard from you. <laughs> okay. So it was just like, ah, you're not into it, whatever. Fair enough. But, so, you liked it. I did, yeah. No, I'm trying to even remember where those inconsistencies... I, I don't know if it was these inconsistencies or it was just, like... Because a lot of times when I'm asking those questions, it's not in that, like, aha, I can make a YouTube video about this gotcha. after. It's more in that, like, I just want to make sure I'm following here. Okay, because there's one point where you're just like, why don't they just go to the hospital? That's ridiculous. And okay, it's fair. like, uh, they live in the middle of fucking nowhere like when they do go to the hospital earlier it took them like a day trip to do so. yeah but i'm sorry if that happened hospital no fair enough <laughs> absolutely fair enough you wanna do you remember enough of it to start give a, a plot yeah i think so we begin um so the family they live in i would say like the outskirts of arkham yeah, like yeah, there's it, that little prologue thing yeah, that talks like it, about it. Like yeah, because the like woods the, outside Arkham. Yeah, because they're, they're still they, they're in a very rural setting. They're outside of the main city, but that being said, the news they're watching is still it's like Arkham local news. It's still referred to as Arkham, but it would definitely be like the outskirts, very rural parts of like. Uh-huh. Well, technically it's Arkham, I guess, but yeah, it's not the city. There's the university's not there, etc. And we have Nick Cage looking like a hot dad. <laughs> He's very dadly. In he this is, one, yeah. and I was—it's so funny because um, he's always one of those people that I like. I never really thought much about him. I thought, like, if you know, at most from memes, like he has a very expressive face. Yeah. But then, yeah, seeing him with a big dad energy, it's kind of like that does it for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I surprised myself. I learned something new about myself well, from I'm this movie. I'm learning new things about you too. Right? I must just be getting old or something. Yeah, you're just like you just gravitating to. The- gravitating towards the dadness but that tracks because of how many people that you're just like oh my god and it's like all they exude is low femme dad energy true kind of it's, i'm just starting to i'm just starting to be like okay male dads they're fine too yeah you're just like you're not boxing yourself only into female dads the female daddies <laughs> female and non-binary dads, yes exactly which was where you were before no, now do dads it's like all right i see anyway <laughs> So Nick Cage is living in a house with his wife, who just successfully beat breast cancer from the sounds of it, Um, post-surgery, teen daughter Lavinia, that was her name, right? Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, I say the the boys had normal names, and then Lavinia. Yeah. Um, And then the sons, we have the kid from Edmonton here. Shout out. I don't remember his name. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, we watched this one like three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's not super fresh in our minds. And then um, the youngest is our sweet baby boy Luke from from House on Haunted Hill. Right, right, right. I mean, Haunting Haunting Hill House. House. I always, that is such a fucking funny slip for me. Yeah, Luke, the child that Famke Janssen carries around in House on Haunted Hill. (laughs) No. She just has a baby Bjorn on for most of the movie. (laughs) No, we have baby Luke and he has glasses on and everything. He's so sweet. I adore him. 
He's the yeah, baby. he's the kind of kid where it's just like, don't get LASIK, otherwise your marketability goes out. Totally. You need to have those glasses that make your eyes look huge and you're adorable. But it's, it's funny because before I even saw him, I heard his I heard his voice and I was like, why do I know this? And then he shows up on camera. I'm like, it is literally Luke. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look any different. It would have been really weird if the song was played by adult Luke. <laughs> That would have been a yeah, weird been thing odd. to go over. Yes. That's a casting choice. Mm-hmm. It would have been a choice, all right. Yeah, so we got this family out in the woods. Yeah. yeah. And one night, a meteor lands on their property. Meteorite, I guess, because mm-hmm. it, it hit Earth. It lands on their property. And not sure what to make of it. Don't want to make it into a media spectacle because, you know, meteorites usually... Well, yeah, they usually don't make it to Earth. They usually disintegrate in the atmosphere. It was so dope to see a horror movie where the shitty, disbelieving mayor who's an asshole was a woman of color. Right. As opposed to just, like, your typical, like, brash white dude. It's like, mm-hmm. woman of color can be, like, the, the brash mayor who won't close the yes. beaches because it's 4th of July weekend, yes. too. Let you know? women be assholes. <laughs> I've said that a long time ago. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think LGBT representation in movies needs to extend to the, the villains and the assholes, too, but let the queer people write them. Don't yes. just do the, the usual, like... She was a he the entire time. Yeah. Plot twist. Even though and, I love and not, and not so like one dimensional. They're just evil. It's like no, let them have like the complexities of human of humanity, which can be a giant dick with like shitty capitalist interests. We like, should make a slasher movie where the killer's like flamingly gay. And it's like oh my god, and your gayness made you kill. It's like no, the bank foreclosed on my house. Whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold on, that's homophobic. <laughs> just call it out. Call it a yeah, task. Let's do it. If we actually had the funds to make half the movies that we... We've proposed, uh, we proposed just on this podcast alone. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Even just the good ones. We have the funds <laughs> just to make the good ideas, which are few and far between. But they, they're, 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 real, they're real good. Yeah. Quality, not quantity. Yeah. So we got the mayor and we got the townsfolk showing up to look at this meteor. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. Um, the family seems to kind of just want it to go away. Yeah. And very quickly, strange things start happening. Yeah. Does the water taste funny? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah something the, fucked with the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. water's fucked. We do have the uh, environmental... Well, the dude from Miskatonic University. The, Ward, to, yeah. Yeah, to study the water table and stuff, so... Ward, that is such a fucking, like, Lovecraft character name to throw on. <laughs> right. Yeah, so weird behaviors. Baby Luke is, you know, standing outside, staring at their well, being like... It's just like in trance. My friend's in there, and he's talking to me, and they're just like, okay, baby Luke. This is like some, uh, you know, like uh, 21st century, like, hello, Tony, Mrs. Tarts. <laughs> totally, yeah. And they're just like, oh, yeah, sure, buddy. Like, fly your freak flag. You do that. <laughs> and... um you know, people, so the behavior starts getting weird. The parents yeah. are acting weird. They're being dicks to their kids. Baby Luke is being, like, just, yeah, entranced and weird. Like, actually, um, sorry, I wanted to say, the so the night that the meteor falls, I know that yeah. that everyone, well, yeah, uh, Nick Cage and his wife are starting to get down for They're the first time down, post-surgery. Yeah. And um, I think Lavinia is just, like, listening to music or something. Yeah. The... The kid from Edmonton is, uh, I don't know, asleep. He's looking, isn't he looking oh, no, at, like, space simulation? Yeah, on the computer. On computer. That's right. And baby Luke is, like, terrified and in the hallway and he sees the flash of light and he's, and just afterwards seeing him as they're trying to figure out what was going on, that scene where there's sort of the commotion in the background, he's kind of in the center of the shot and he is sitting on the couch staring off into space and he's, like, 
playing with his just his hands are fidgeting yeah that and just like that was just like dissociation d- distilled like they did like, a really good they job did it of capturing so that. Yeah, yeah. they did such a good job like yeah like i i and then i i have not in that you know i haven't been traumatized by a meteor falling on my property but you know having like that's a very normal reaction to anything that's kind of overwhelming yeah. or you know i everyone experiences it at some point to some degree whether that's i definitely yeah. do those whole anxious playing with my hands kind yeah of thing. but also dissociation it exists on yes. a spectrum from daydreaming or catching yourself zoning out all the way to like straight up well i guess the most extremely like disassociative identity disorder well i i think like everyone dissociates on the daily more or mm-hmm. less it's just it's not to the, the it's not a clinical, a clinical degree yeah. that causes impairment in their life so anyway um this is a very you know peritraumatic dissociation as somebody who works as a psychometrist and is constantly screening people for ptsd very common also sounds like such a lovecraft i know i know my My name is abigail winters the psychometrist psychometrist yes yeah it has a it's a fun word um but yeah that's something that we i'm very used to like you know explaining and normalizing to clients it's like yeah you know it's it's sounds kind of scary but it's and it's not super enjoyable. It feels mm-hmm. really strange. It feels really just detached and weird. Right. But that is what our brains do when we are encountered with something that's overwhelming to us. Mm-hmm. Our brains, we, we kind of tune out a little bit. And that's just, it's self-preservation. It's a survival behavior. And it's very adaptive. Right. It's when post-trauma, it's, it lingers. And you find yourself dissociating just willy-nilly. That's when it becomes more of a like clinical kind of trait. Right. That can be, you know, resolved with grounding techniques, therapy, etc. So anyway, but yeah, back to the scene. Yeah, they just captured that so well where, you know, there's all this stuff going on in the background. He's just static except for his hands. The sound is kind of like they're in the room, but it's like, it's like you have your your ears plugged with your fingers or with yeah. cotton balls or something. Like it's, they're there, but the, yet they seem distant. Mm-hmm. And just that like the one bit of you that's trying to get some kind of grounding is like sticking your fingers and your yeah. fingernails in your hand or just fidgeting. Like that was just, I was, it, yeah, just, I was like, there been was, there, done that. And that is so well captured. There was a lot of great, like technical things mm-hmm. to use to show otherness or like otherworldliness and like states of mentality that mm-hmm. maybe transcend quote unquote normality. Right. Like you mentioned the way sound design works in the sequence and stuff. And yes. I'm thinking some of the visual design later with the yes. blurring of the image and stuff like that. Well, we yeah, had the distortion. Yeah, the, there's, and a, the there's a lot of cool technical stuff that um, I think uh, is a little depressingly lost a lot of the time in movies. Today, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it was like to the good old days kind of thing, <laughs> but the idea that you know, like cinema is a medium as an art form that you can fuck with, mm-hmm. so you don't have to always be literal with it. And I think yeah. a lot of like mainstream cinema, this probably goes like as far as mainstream go- stuff goes, this probably goes all the way back. Oh yeah, it's really literal, and right. I really liked seeing stuff that played with the form of image and sound in a way that's not necessarily rooted in realism. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it gets, wasn't just. It gets an effect across. Yeah, like it's not just using cinema as a form literally as a means to an end just to portray yeah. everything else it's also like how can we fuck with this to make it part of the story yeah. and integrate it and stuff and it's like yeah that's it, yeah it, it's, it's underutilized for sure yeah and, so. and i like that about this movie because it didn't overutilize it either because there's some because mm-hmm. that's when you sort of almost get into that kind of art house wankery at times yes. where it's just like they're trying to be so abstract and i'm not trying to shit on that form of filmmaking 
just uh, I, I I like it best when they toe that like line sort of between the two, where they tell like a realistic story, but they're not afraid to use the medium of cinema to mm-hmm. tell it in a unique way that's unique to the form. And they're not like up their own ass about it. Uh-huh. It just yeah, it's not yeah. obtrusive. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned so after the. Uh, the uh, meteorite hits, uh, and the fanfare goes on. Everyone starts acting kind of weird and mm-hmm. a little dickish, and that's where we kind of get into something that I feel is absent from a lot of the classic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations. That is so integral to his writing, but the idea of madness. Mm-hmm. And one thing I loved about this movie was how they did, it, like insanity in that Hollywood sense, and like you know that that gothic horror madness kind of mm-hmm. thing like the seven m's of gothic horror kind of thing right. that sort of like capital m madness i think they did a really interesting job with that because i mean on one level you have nick cage there so there's so much cage rage <laughs> and he's like i saw another tweet because we keep referencing twitter Always. that basically described him as the south california klaus kinski and it's just like <laughs> That is perfect. <laughs> it's like that is such a great description. But yeah, he brings that energy to this movie. But what I loved was how on a dime he would turn from being so aggressive or so out there or so out of touch with reality to so caring and soft and gentle and in the moment. And dad. And on the dime on a dime, I, I it wasn't always anchored to something specific mm-hmm. that happened in the scene. Like sometimes there would be something that happens that flips him but like i remember there's one thing scene where he's yelling at uh, lavinia and then she doesn't even say she's she doesn't even say anything yeah, specific like to get him stunned. nothing happens to get him he just suddenly stops and, and like, oh I, my god what was i doing and i thought it was so interesting the way that they really played with the idea of stepping outside of normalcy mm-hmm. in that moment where um you know, it's not grounded or anchored, but it really is, like, the idea of madness is this sort of, like, other state of being that always comes into play in these kind of stories, mm-hmm. where it really felt like he was existing on another plane and almost reacting to things in that way. Yeah. And we're just kind of getting him as the window, and we don't see what he's experiencing. And, yeah. like, there's a good moment of that when um, the officials show up to his house, and he's like, my whole family's here in the living room, and there's no <laughs> one sitting there. But then way later, we see that distorted image where they're all sitting in the living room kind mm-hmm. of thing. So we get a little glimpse as to what's going on. But before we get that glimpse, it's just like this insight into his madness going on. Yeah. And it was done in this way that it's not uh, its not that particularly subtle, but it felt like nicely fitted into the story. It didn't feel like, oh, you just hit a sticking point with this plot idea or anything like that. It, it really worked well. Mm-hmm. And I liked the varying levels of his awareness yes. of it. And how that kind of changed over time. And, and yeah, how it would sort of, the way it started out would kind of build up. And then, like, you know, it starts with him. Um, well, we watched the deleted scenes too, but where yeah. he starts acting up when I think they're putting baby Luke to bed. Right. And then they're just like, what are oh, you Oh, that deleted scene where he's like, I'm just going to do like... I'm going to do handstands against yeah, the wall. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things I could do as a kid. Oh, I'm not doing it so well. What the fuck? Yeah, because that was like an extended version of it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it yeah. started out more kind of like manic almost mm-hmm. and then turns to more like aggression. Yeah. And I thought I, I really liked that progression. Mm-hmm. In this. Um, yeah, it was gradual, but then, you know, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. But then you look back and you're like, no, there were it was building. 
I was just maybe like, oh, that's a little weird, but maybe it's understandable because things are weird right now. And it's like, nope. (laughs) That's a similar reason why I think there's some good uh, Lovecraft appeal to the lighthouse with the way madness is constructed in it because Mm -hmm. it's often... Like, you know, uh, you look at Reanimator and people say that Herbert West is kind of mad or peculiar or whatever. Yes. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, those, those, I love those Stuart Gordon movies to death and all that stuff, but that that is a component that I feel is kind of lacking from them, at least up until we get to Dagon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Like, the level-headed character is level-headed throughout, even though everyone else thinks they're mad. Whereas, that's a lot more blurred in Color Out of Space. Like, I think everyone kind of dips into these different sort of layers of reality. And it affects how they react to the real world in a way that just seems at odds with what you would expect someone to do. And it's not always explained why their like, what their motivation is. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what makes it so interesting to watch. Absolutely. Because it doesn't feel like, it's not like um, a criticism in the sense that, you know, a character can act without motivation and it's bad writing. Like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. come across like that at all. It's just the motivation is purposely obscured. Exactly. Yeah. I also really dug the creature effects in this one. Mm-hmm. Like the weird horror sequences oh, that my went God. almost body horror-esque at Yeah. Times. Oh, yeah, like straight up the thing at one yeah. point. Like, woof. I'd say at a couple points there That's were those true. thing moments, yeah. That's true, yeah. I'm thinking of, like, the moment, but, yeah, they're... they're... I honestly don't know which moment you're referring to, because, oh, like, I'm thinking between... Because I was also thinking the attic scene. The attic scene, of course. Yeah, there's, there's sort of, like, two big right. the thing moments. Like, the alpacas was so much the... I mean, uh, the, the, the huskies. Yeah, the husky scene yeah, thing, that's exactly right. what I thought of, too. Yeah. Whereas, um, the, uh, scene in the attic, oh. when things got really bonkers, that yeah. was, uh, that was so much the thing, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I really liked that the movie, because the movie starts fairly subtly and it's a slow, gradual build, mm-hmm. but it's not afraid to go to those places. Yeah. And I think that's what made it really work for me is that it, you you get your uh, cake and you get to eat it, too, with yeah. this movie. Yeah, because some movies we talk about where it feels like they, they try to go all the way out, but then they they don't go all the way. Yeah. Even if you can't necessarily articulate how they could have gone further. I felt it just feels like they stopped short. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this one that did not feel that way. Nope. Not at all. No. Um, they went there. It, it was a, it was a really good way to, to go in the material where mm-hmm. you get the sort of like madness and psychology in there, but you also get the physical horror kind yes. of thing where it's just like, it's not a hundred percent uh, a mental horror thing. It's not 100% a monster movie. You get a really nice mashup of both. Mm-hmm. I also found it interesting, um, as an aside, that there were two Edmonton peeps in this movie, and that Tommy oh, yeah. Chong right. plays the... the uh, Ezra, is that his name? Ezra, yeah. The, the dude uh, who, the dude who the, like, squatter. The squatter in the woods. Yeah. And first off, I love that this movie says squatter rights, and that <laughs> it's just like, he's squatter in the woods, he doesn't hurt anyone, so we don't mind that he's there like our son even goes and hangs out with him like whatever um i thought it was ridiculous but also kind of funny in how he has a cat named (laughs) g-spot but then like you know that's the that's the surface level joke it's like a pussy named g-spot but then the the cat goes missing and no one can find it and it's just like of course these clueless men can't find the g-spot right also then there's the extra layer of the joke where you think of lovecraft's cat and yeah. It's an inappropriate name. I think yep. I prefer this one. I'll go with G-Spot every time. Every yeah. time. Yeah. It's, um, 
fuck, this movie's uh, it, I think it's it's a uh, a good adaptation while also adapting with the times because you know, uh, it's contemporary story with this movie. It's mm-hmm. set ostensibly in two thousand nineteen, um, but like I read this or I listened to the audiobook of the story and it's very close in way for a story from nineteen twenties mm-hmm. or nineteen thirties or whenever the, the original was written. Uh, so I thought that was a very good adaptation because it kind of eschews all the like garbageness <laughs> of uh, there wasn't tons of that in Colorado Space. Fair. Thankfully, that's good. Very thankfully. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, like you had mentioned um, the sort of like rational actor in this who's trying to unearth the mystery uh, is a uh, POC. He's a black man. Thing. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's just like. Oh, that probably would have made Lovecraft roll in his grave a little bit. Yeah, there, and there's I think that's a, so many that's times in a good way. You yeah, know, like it's the... like yeah, roll, baby, roll. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. Stay dead, angry. Say die, angry. It's like we probably did, but <laughs> get angry or while like dead. But no, I definitely recommend this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, you do too. So that's cool. That's cool. Uh, the only other... I say that as if there's a whole boatload of them. There's not that many. But the only other Richard Stanley movie you've seen was Hardware, yeah? Yeah, and that was forever ago. Yeah, yeah. We need to do a, a Richard Stanley episode sometime. Deal. Uh, cover like Hardware, Dust Devil, and maybe that uh, documentary about the failed... Ver- his failed version of Island of Dr. Moreau after too much producer meddling. Yeah, let's do it. That was the movie he was... It was his dream project, and then he got fired from the picture, and then the the, right. the finished product is, like, one of those, like, total bomb mess mm-hmm. of Hollywood kind of things, and it just kind of shows, like, he should have just had some faith, man. Mm-hmm. But good news, good news. Um, I guess Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau is being redone by him. Thank goodness. As, like, a Netflix thing or something okay. like that. So, you know, it comes back around. <laughs> And he lived long enough yeah. to see it. Excellent. Next up, we had something that was a little less memorable. Um, we watched 1987's The Curse. So that was a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one had a bit more... Um, yeah, it actually had a little bit more of like capital interest meddling taking yeah. place. I mean, that was that was certainly in Color Out of Space, but it was also more of a background element, and it was even more present in the deleted scenes. Whereas in this one, it is like explicitly like one of the main characters is like, "Don't fuck with property values." Yeah. So it's yeah, it was more in the forefront. Yeah. With this one. Um. We actually do a quick sort of plot setup. One thing I found interesting this one was, uh, and going to the plot setup with yes. it, is there was more religiosity. That, yeah, there, that because is, yeah. that was kind of absent from the uh, Richard Stanley version. That's true. Um, and uh, anytime it showed up in the, the third movie we showed, which was much earlier, uh, it was it felt more like a product of the time than mm-hmm. of anything overt. But in this one, you get very overt religion. Like Christianity, yeah, and that mixed like Bible in belt with way. this cosmic horror kind of thing, because uh, what we have is there's this farm with a family. It's um, a blended family. Yeah, blended family. We've got the father and the mother who both have their own kids from previous relationships, and they've married, and 
the kids of the mother are played by uh, Will Wheaton and his right. actual sister kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently when people ask uh, Will Wheaton about his uh, feelings on the curse, he said the only good thing he has to say about it is he got my sister a job. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that was great because Fair. she got to work too. Right. Because he was like on Star Trek and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. Fair. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those... Uh, yeah, so you got this family, and they're contending with the ultimate dipshit stepbrother of yeah. all time, oh. like oh, overgrown man, baby piece of shit, who was actually one of the very likable teens in Popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So it was interesting to see him again so soon. He has range. Yeah, uh, but the father of this family is super like bible thumping kind of thing and uh very abusive like he hits his kids or not so much his kid but he hits uh his stepkids yeah kind of thing and he's a real piece of shit about it and they're kind of in a hard place because they had absolutely nothing and um it's not a very happy family no and he really takes on that whole role of like man is the head of the house yeah absolutely and he's responsible for tending to his flock and disciplining them and that whole thing interesting because i felt like there was like familiar uh familial discord in the uh family in colorado space Mm -hmm. but not in a way that like you they felt like a family that was fairly united and like they got along for the most part other than just you know like teen melodrama yeah it wasn't like a a slice of patriarchy yeah whereas with this family it's like a very fractured family so when the meteorite hits like in colored space that really fractures the family whereas Mm -hmm. this one the family's already a fucking mess and it just kind of highlights what's already there yeah really brought it into greater relief rather than being something that like caused any kind of disharmony yeah and uh much like with uh, Color of Space, there's something in the water, and mm-hmm. it starts mutating people that get too into it. But, oh my god, the fucking dad in this was, like, so ridiculous, where it's just like, you're too good for a water? I'm gonna beat you because of it. You're too good to eat the produce that I provided? I'm gonna literally beat you because of it. Yeah. And, like, there's a scene where they're at dinner, and Will Wheaton doesn't want to drink a glass of water, and the dad just loses his shit and has, like, a minute-long meltdown tantrum. Mm-hmm. And I realize at that point in the movie, it's starting to show his psychosis a mm-hmm. little bit. But at the same time, it's just, like, mountains out of molehills kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, at that point, it's just an elevated version of what was already there. It wasn't yeah. really anything new. Because yeah. it was already kicking their asses. It's yeah. just now he was doing it over literally, like, nothing. And the bullying stepbrother, he literally turns into a monster who's trying to, like, kill them. Mm -hmm. But it just feels like an extended version of where he was before. Yeah, the meteor is just bringing out their worst selves. It's not creating anything new. Or at least the psychosis uh, is, like, manifesting as, like, them to an extreme as opposed to, like, this came out of left field. Yeah. So there's, there's a... I guess it is interesting in how the color of space, so to speak, in this one, is more to highlight the family dynamic already at play mm-hmm. kind of thing rather than to be some kind of like cosmic horror from beyond it it does turn them into literal monsters yep. but they're just monstrous versions of what they were exactly before and um that makes it sound like this movie's so deep <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um the family kind of fractures as uh 
while Wheaton's trying to care for his mom, while at the same time trying to uh, look out for his sister, mm-hmm. kind of thing, and get to the bottom and of things. And just, like, survive. Uh, but it it's interesting because there's all these sort of, like, little stories intersecting. Like, you got the doctor who's like, oh, we got to make sure everyone in town's okay. We got the scientists who the doctor knows who are just, like, trying to research the thing. Yeah, figure out what the hell's going we, on. We got the the splintered family going on. We got the developers that are trying to buy up the land, and they're all kind of meeting at a crossroads with yeah. this uh, thing. and butting heads. And uh, I, I felt like it felt a little fractured in this one, because, you know, it would be like you get these vignettes, and it... it I like the idea that there were multiple plot lines, but the problem is it felt like everything else got put on pause whenever it would go into a plot line. Mm-hmm. It's just like, let's pause the movie and look at these developers for a while. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, right, we've got a family drama going. Let's zip right. on back to it. It, it just They're didn't feel now. particularly organic to yeah. me. At least for the first half. Towards the end, when the climax all comes together, I felt it actually worked pretty well. Yeah, it kind of has to collapse um, in on itself at that point, yeah. the chaos. But eh, I don't know. It's a fun sort of monster movie fun in giant scare quotes kind of thing because I know that there was plenty of uh, looking at the phone <laughs> during this one <laughs> Whoops. a little bit. Uh, this is a series that every installment in the Curse series is right. completely unrelated. Like right. Curse 2 I remember being like fun as hell like weird snake people mutants and all that <laughs> stuff. Curse 3 sounds like something I need to track down immediately. Yeah can you describe it again? I remember it uh, sounding okay. that way but I don't remember what you actually told me. The Curse 3 is basically about um, a demon raised in Africa that decides to just take it out on the white man. And That's it sounds like it. something I'd be very into watching. That sounds like fun. Knowing that it's a trash movie from, like, the early 90s kind of thing, it probably handles it with great aplomb, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, might be a little racist. Yeah, just a, just a little racist. Just a little. Um, I don't know. I, the, the, this was probably my least favorite movie of the week. Yeah. Yeah, it was same. mostly because it was forgettable more than mm-hmm. being. It wasn't like bad. It was yeah, just it wasn't particularly bad in any or like excruciatingly so. Like mm-hmm. it was just kind of low rent. Um, I will say that it actually really hooked my attention. The scene when the chickens attacked the little girl, kind of thing. So That's it's just true. like, is this movie going there? Like, right? Because they really fucked her up yeah and, they, like, and it was like lucha fulci levels of like let's linger oh that's another thing yes. this movie was assistant directed by lucio fulci as lewis fulci <laughs> like we saw the name lewis fulci flash up and it's just like no it can't be the same guy. can't possibly be him but it was he was the assistant producer i believe and then behind the scenes he ended up like associate directing <laughs> kind of thing and it's just like you can see where it that comes out. That was such a Fulci sequence. Yes. Like, so much of this was sort of, like, later era Fulci at times. Like, uh, the snails slowly devouring the person in Enigma mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You just see all these little beats of, like, weird Fulci bad shittery. <laughs> yeah. So, that part tickled me. Yes. That's for sure. Absolutely. Because I guess this was Fulci's foray into American filmmaking. <laughs> was as uh, assistant director on The Curse. Nice. Yeah, but yeah, that was such a Fulci sequence with mm. the chickens. Was it ever? It reminded me of the ending of uh, Manhattan Baby a little bit. Hmm. I have that lined up for a future episode, so don't worry. Excellent. Yeah, so I was like, have I seen that? You have not. Didn't think so. Yeah. Um, I want to do an episode specifically on Egyptian Orientalism ah. kind of thing. And Manhattan Baby would be a great shimmy for that because of the setup. Okay. 
Get some blood feast in there too. Oh, that's a good idea. I was thinking like the the OG, the mummy, and then we could watch the movie Dawn of the Mummy where all the models go like break into a great pyramid for a photo shoot and a mummy kills uh, them. Uh, amazing. There's some good movies we could watch. Amazing. And, you know, there's some good <laughs> movies we could watch. I love good movies. Yeah. We finished this week up with 1965's Die Monster Die, starring Boris Karloff in sort of a late-era Karloff movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one was really cheesy, but it was <laughs> kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the main dude in this was such a dick. Like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, I did not care for that character no. at all. Like, the stakes were sort of... Uh, Oh, that's what I said about the curse. I was like, I've never seen a movie where the like stakes mattered stakes. less. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I felt like the stakes were kind of low for his character in this, too. Yeah. It's like, no, I want to know what's going on with this family shit going on. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about the interloper to the Yeah, family. fuck this guy. Nobody yeah. cares. So what have we got with uh, Die Monster Die? We have this American who arrives in Arkham, England. Arkham, England. Arkham, yeah, UK. That's, so that's a bit of a shift. Yeah. And he wants to go to this this manor that's out in the woods or whatever and everyone in town is like shut the fuck up you're not going there like yeah. leave us alone do not say, speak of it the scene when he walks up to the dude sitting at the picnic table outside of the pub with like the little chained in sitting area it's like that reminded me so much of the local pub by my parents place oh yeah like 100 like, yes. i was just like i miss this yes but um yeah he makes it out there because he wants to go check up on the lady there yep i don't even remember why they were in school together, and, uh, you know, he just probably wanted to fuck. wants to get his dick wet, you yeah. know, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where, no, no, thank you, this is a, it's coded that way, but in a 1960s kind of way, yeah, where it's so just it's like, like, she invited me up for a study sojourn, ha ha ha, it's just like, I want to visit the, the young lady of the house, yes. and he's real brash about it in kind of a gross way, but in a very coded gross way. Yeah. yeah. Makes it up, um, and soon realizes weird stuff is happening in the house. Yep. Um, whether or not the family is aware of it quite yet, doesn't really seem so. Seems like dad's kind of in denial. Maybe he's hiding he something. He just wants this guy to fuck off. He does. It could easily, it could, it feels like it just as easily be like, don't fuck around with my daughter. Yeah. As it could be like, like there's a, a mystery of a... Yeah, he's just a crotchety old man. It's not necessarily yeah. like he is... He is hiding something. Although I do think he was pretty dope, because this guy was a dick to begin with, <laughs> and he shows up, and he's just like, is that any way to treat a guest? And he's like, no, guests are invited. You weren't invited. Get out of here. And it's just like, yeah, Boris Karloff, tell this dude. <laughs> you showed him. But the mom is sick, and then the daughter is just, like, blissfully unaware. Yeah. Of, like, oh, no, nothing is weird as a foot. Oh, it's just my daddy. Like, I love how blissfully unaware she is, where it's just like, of course he's welcome here, even though the dad's staring daggers at him the entire fucking time. <laughs> yes. The mom has isolated herself in this room, hidden behind this like fucking like, mosquito net veil thing. Yeah. There's this like blind assistant guy who's almost like a a weird cosmopolitan like lurch from the Adams family kind yes. of thing. And you describe this movie as very Scooby-Doo. Oh my god, yes. Okay, between the, the some of the music cues and stuff, yeah. and then also just like some of the, like, shenanigans of the house yep. and, like, stuff like, like... I feel like even just ugh. the family dynamic, it just totally feels like, wow, Scoob, we rocked up to this haunted mansion and there's some weird shit afoot, dude. Let's get out of here. I don't know why that turns slightly to Bill and Ted again, <laughs> but we're just gonna go with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, there were some... There's Bill some... and Ted is late 80s Scooby-Doo changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> soon, what do we have? We have the, the man butler servant guy dies. Yep. In the basement. <laughs> oh, I love that part where she's oh like, my oh my god, we heard noises. What happened? Oh, the butler died. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, it could not have been prevented. He was sick for a while. He died in the basement. Anyway, go back to bed. And they're just like, accept it. It's yeah, just like, like, oh, okay. okay, the butler's dead. Yeah. All right, it's like, we're going to call the police. We're going to call anything. It's like, no, I'm just going to go bury him in the backyard. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, word? Yeah. And then, what the fuck else happens? The mom goes crazy at some point. Well, it kind of flips to they find this greenhouse with yes. all these weird lights going on, and maybe that's where the color out of space right. comes from. Because this movie directly states that it's based, based yes. on the color of space, that- and it's probably the furthest away mm-hmm. of the three movies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they find the, the greenhouse, I almost said the lighthouse. They found the greenhouse of lights with the overgrown vegetation and like yeah. all the lush tomatoes and all that stuff. But then they find this back room with cages of what look like Muppet monsters. You know that big Muppet guy who's just clearly due to his suit, who's just like a big, like, brown, furry, like, yeah. cone who just walks around with the big nose yeah, yeah, and he's yeah, just yeah. like, do, 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 do. Like that, but giant. There were, like, a bunch of those with tentacles in a cage, and it was so funny. <laughs> it's like, I kind of love this, because they walk into this room, and they're just like, it's so dark, I can't quite make it out, what's going on? And in the background, you see this big-eyed yeah, puppet just, like, bopping around in the background, <laughs> and it's just like, oh man, I expect a musical number to break out that I'm so here for. Like, where's Kermit gonna show up on right. a log with his banjo? Um... But then, yeah, the mother is changing. Her skin is growing mottled and fucked up. And she almost looks like the Evil Dead. Like, Mm -hmm. this movie goes so Evil Dead in a few places. I wonder if it was in any way an inspiration. Perhaps. Like, you got the killer plant coming to life and attacking the woman. You've got the Evil Dead looking like... Like, the the mother looks so much like a deadite from the first Evil Dead when she attacks the people. That's true. And then it turns out where we get to the plot of The Color of Space is that... uh, Boris Karloff's family, they found this meteor, and they drug it into the basement of the uh, the castle, Manor, castle, and it started like. making all this wildlife and growth go on, like in the other Color of Space movies, uh, like in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then everything started dying off and going all brittle and all that. Like, it shows him reach up. Like, he's going through the gray woods on the That's way to the right. thing. And the trees are collapsing. That part was actually in the original story mm-hmm. that didn't show up as much in the other ones. Right. So that's where this one kind of hit on the story a little closer. Um, but the meteor is, like, mutating people and slowly killing them off and turning them into, like, insane monsters. Yeah, and then Hence they, the title they Die Monster Die, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it ends with Boris Karloff turning into, like, a, he looks like a Daft Punk guy. Like, he's, like, completely <laughs> silver, and he's just, like, running around. Chasing around. Chasing around with this big battle. That was pretty thing. Scooby-Doo. That was so <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Um, and then he's like, okay, you distract her. Now run! And they're like, oh. No, for an early American international picture movie, this one was quite fun. Mm-hmm. It's very cheese, uh, but but I had fun with it. It's out by Scream Factory. As soon as we realized we we're doing this episode, I was like, is this one available? And it's like, oh, hell yeah, it's available. Mm-hmm. Just the episode got delayed a week because the movie was supposed to arrive on like a Tuesday and then it ended up getting shipped from like the States later, and it ended yeah. up getting delivered on Friday. Yeah. Woo! 
<laughs> but we got to it eventually, because here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a particularly memorable movie, I'll say, because this was the most recent watch of the bunch. Yeah, and I'm even struggling. And, uh, I, I remember The Curse better than this, and yeah. The Curse was so forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I can say about it is it's like fun sort of monster movie before the... Uh, you know, the movies that kind of came along before Night of the Living Dead really changed the game. Mm-hmm. It, it fits nicely into those in a way that's, like, quite engaging. Like, it's dated, but not... I didn't find this one nearly as dated as some of the ones I've seen. I yeah. really like it. Like, it, it had me engaged, for sure. It's just that it really felt like it didn't quite know what genre it wanted to do. Like, it was transporting this sci-fi cosmic horror thing into the gothic horror arena mm-hmm. and tried to put its foot in both and didn't really capture either. Yeah. And that that was kind of the sticking point for me, if anything. Like, That's I think right. as its own thing, it works fine. But it, it's a very muddled kind of film. Yeah, I think the only thing that, like, maybe explicitly kind of dated it for me was um, just the, like, gender relations and just the dude was had that very sort of, like, chivalrous, like, oh, I'll save the day. Kind yeah. of, like, it, that itself felt very, like, that, of a time. Very much. Very so, much so. Yeah, so that was the only thing that stood out to me is, like, oh, yeah, this isn't a recent movie. <laughs> this was very, it very much kind of fit into, like, how gender relations were presented in, like, you know, mainstream cinema for decades. 100%, absolutely, so, yeah. And just, yeah, this this is what men do and this is what women do. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was the part to me that was, like, yeah, that's, a, that's an older movie. Yeah, that's, um, I feel like the gender relations really kind of are a big part of that divide between, like, modern cinema and classic cinema, mm-hmm. classic cinema, because I'm not saying, like, there are no other movies that come out today where the yeah, gender relations, the way they're coded, are fucking garbage, but there was just this very almost artificial mm-hmm. codified version of heteronormativity at play yeah. in these movies. Like, you, you summed it up really well, so. Thank you. Um, yeah, men are women, men, and women are women, and... Yeah, if you can look at a movie and say, this is about when men were men and women yeah. were women, it's dated. Yeah, it's, either, it's dates. either dated or it's, like, a period piece. Yeah, for sure. From But I feel like even contemporary period pieces, they have, have some, the, like, there's awareness and stuff. There. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> um... On top of all this movie watching, I went ahead and listened to the audiobook of... Colorado Space. I was going to read it, but I was busy, so I was just like, fuck it. I, I want to actually get this in before we go. So I And I didn't get it. to, so I'm so glad you did. Um, the Colorado Space adaptation by Richard Stanley is really close. Hmm. Especially given, it's weird given that there's almost a hundred years It's like a hundred years, years later. Yeah, right? Um, it Because uh, Richard Stanley's is modern, as is H.P. Lovecraft's. It was modern to, to the, the time. time. Um, but they both work like the exact same plot setup of a reservoir is being built that will flood this whole place underwater, and uh, the surveyor for it goes out to check in on this family. Mm. But I guess the one difference is he checks in on this guy who lives next to the family who recounts the whole horror okay. of the family. Uh, but then the other big difference is that the color of uh, color of space would largely be the first half or first two thirds of H.P. Lovecraft's story, because then it goes into the investigation of what happened. Oh, interesting. Um, And that's where I found it a little less interesting, I guess, Hmm. as far as the book goes, because it does so much of that classic Lovecraft writing where it's like, and then they saw it, something so indescribable (laughs) that it, that it 
defied imagination, and they all agreed not to speak of what it was. And it was horrifying. And then it just flips to the next scene, and you're just like, <laughs> that's a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> that's his way. Like, at least the whole idea of the color being an indescribable color actually yes. works in the way the plot is structured, because it specifically said, like, no, it's a color that dis- defies explanation like because we don't have language for we're it. only calling it a color because that's the best analogy we can come up mm. with. Like, this visual interpretation is something beyond description. Right. And I think that that works in this sense. But then there's all these little moments of it's like, and then I felt this horror that I couldn't quite describe. <laughs> and it's like that over and over again, which works sort of in that sort of like old school gothic horror kind right. of thing. But, you know, the 20th time it happens in the story, yeah. you're just like, okay, describe something. Yes. Just fucking describe it. Like, and then this farmyard animal came up to me and its face was indescribable. <laughs> <laughs> And then I told my wife I loved her, and the look she gave me was indescribable. So I ate soup from a can that was indescribable, as I slept on the sofa, and the cover I had on me was indescribable. And then I realized my marriage was indescribable. <laughs> like, it's just like this garbage yeah. pile of, um, like, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm talking in jest a large, large mm-hmm. like, I actually enjoyed this story quite a bit, but it does have a bit of those pitfalls mm-hmm. that are associated with his work that's for (laughs) sure um the curse also had a few bits that were fairly similar to this like the idea of all the vegetation being completely rotten and inedible yeah like it looks beautiful it's flipped appears to be flourishing but then inside it's like full of worms well in the curse it was literally full of worms yeah uh lovecraft it was there was something indescribable about it. And by that, I mean, actually, it was, they said that it was very bitter. And mm. even though it looked verdant, it was, uh, there was something wrong with the it soil. It grew wrong. And, yeah. yeah, the soil was sour or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so you had that aspect. The whole, like, the water being off was uh, a big part of all of them. But the prominence of the well, I thought that that was, uh, I don't know why I found it interesting, but, like, that was so on point with Richard Stanley's adaptation mm-hmm. because the well factors into the story so much. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think that uh, if this is how Stanley adapts Color Out of Space, I'm really excited for his supposed trilogy that's right. going to be coming up because he did it so close while still making it his, his own kind mm. of thing. Like a lot of the... Um, sort of like body horror and the stuff that hits on the thing and stuff like that. It's so much in the story, but it's so vague in the story because yeah. Lovecraft loves his vagaries. He leaves it to your imagination. Stanley's able to like realize it in his own way, like that horrible thing in the attic. We see what that horrible mm-hmm. thing in the attic is in the movie, and it's very clearly defined. Yes. But, you know, it's in a very original way that wasn't in the original story. Mm-hmm. Or um, the part where he has to go out with the shotgun against all the farm animals and stuff. It's just like they mutated so much that I had to uh, put them down kind of thing. That's the extent of the description. Right. And so Stanley's able to be like, okay, what does that look like? I'm yes. going to go ahead and do that. And re- fully so realize it. It makes me really excited to see what he does for Dunwich Horror. It mm-hmm. makes me also really excited to see what he potentially picks for his third movie. Right. Because I don't know if that's been announced yet, what mm. the third... Because they said a trilogy. And yep. uh, I know Dunwich Horror is supposed to be the next one. I don't know what the one after that's supposed to be. Mm. Exciting times. Hopefully it's one that hasn't been adapted. Or, yeah, or something that's been very under-adapted. Right. Um, especially because, like, Reanimator is so classic, mm-hmm. and there's such a glut of zombie movies that I don't think we necessarily need another one of those. 
and I felt like Dagon did a really good job of hitting on the like sort of like underwater kind of thing that I don't know that we need to really hit on that again. Yeah. I would be more interested in a Stanley Dagon than I would a Stanley um, uh, Reanimator. Yeah. Or I like from say, beyond like that yeah. one. It's like I can't. I mean, you know, maybe someone could do something new with it that would impress me and shock me. But I'm like, that one is so good. <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't because the what yeah. they did nailed it. Yes. I don't think we need another one. But at the same time, the story is so the short. The source material is like a page long. That, yeah, you could... You could take it anywhere. You really could, kind of yeah. Um, but would it be worth taking it? I would anywhere? say At the Mountains of Madness, but I'm really still pulling for a Guillermo del Toro At the Mountains mm. of Madness. You know, I'd really love to see that come to fruition, whether that's realistic or not. Right. Uh, that would be just such a dope movie. Because yes. I imagine it really taking on the visual style and all that of uh, Crimson Peak, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the time period down for sure, but mm-hmm. take that style and then... Um, do basically the thing meets Crimson Peak, right. and that would be at the Mountains of Madness, and that sounds like a movie I want to see. Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. What about other links for the for the movies? Yeah, well, I just um, as you were talking about the the Stanley movie being sort of the maybe the most faithful yes of the adaptations, um, that reminded me of how like when the movie sort of towards the end and when it ended, I was kind of like, huh, that is cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah, like that really fulfilled that for me yeah yeah but then um yeah the other thing that i kind of um and we we hinted about this a little bit like with talking about like the madness and sort of the continuity throughout of that theme but um one thing that i liked was with yeah with the ambiguity that i thought all of them did a really or at least like the first two we watched the third one was maybe a little more clear but um the ambiguity of you have this this hunk of you know, element, rock, whatever it is from space. We don't know what it's made of, what it... So we don't... Like, it, it's unclear. Which was a large part of the uh, sort of, like, word count in Lovecraft's story. Mm-hmm. was going over, like, what the fuck is this Right, thing? yeah. As I yeah. would imagine. Yeah. And so it's, like, the... Ultimately, like, what's happening, is it is it radiation? Is it this um, evidence that there's, you know, a previously undiscovered element being leached into the water? Is it both? Yeah. And just that ambiguity there, I think it, it's again, it it leads to multiple possible conclusions without ever really fulfilling one, but it doesn't feel unfulfilled. I love a scary door kind of ending where they (laughs) test the rock. It's like, we found DNA in the rock. It's man. (laughs) Totally. But he's, it's indescribably wrong somehow. It's a man, but it's not. We should make a Lovecraftian horror movie called The Indescribable Man. Or make a dating show called The Indescribable (laughs) Man. It's like that love is blind shit, but it's like The Indescribable (laughs) Man. Oh, dear. But no, I really liked that ambiguity about it. Mm -hmm. Because, um... It adds to the horror, because it's like, there could be so many things, and we don't know, and they don't know, and oh my god, what the fuck is going on? And I like that there's that real-world element where it's just like, this is some radioactive piece of space debris. It could be that we are irradiated, and it's corroding us, and Mm -hmm. we got fucked over from that. Or it could be that fucking monsters came to Earth on it, like, who knows? Yeah, there's there's, uh, something where, even though it defies logical explanation, they're 
any any sort of like hesitance to really like do things because it's like no there's a logical explanation for that it still sits in the movie because mm-hmm. like you said a space rock that irradiated everyone like what if it's a hunk of uranium from outer space that <laughs> totally, just fucked right? everyone up yeah um well because so. i think um for the uh really kind of horrifying transformation that happens in in color out of space i'm pretty sure they say like oh my god it looks like radiation like radiation burns but it's also like changed matter in a way that it's like radiation alone wouldn't do this that turn in the movie had oh my, my fucking jaw God. on the floor i didn't know tons about this movie going into it but there's a turn about halfway through that i was not expecting <laughs> me either and it was like you went there holy yeah fuck so uh and that was attributed they're like well, kind of like because they're saying it kind of look like radiation burns but it's yeah. also like that's not that's not radiation alone. That's fucked up. Yeah, it's like, oh, yes, right. I remember when they, uh, you know, Three Mile Island, when this happened to a bunch of workers. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a really cool movie. Mm-hmm. And it makes me just, just as excited to check out whatever SpectreVision decides to shit out next. Yes. You know, like, like, they... Love it. Already. I will check out anything with their name on it at yes, this point. Yes, absolutely. You know, I have yet to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And, um... They filled up so much goodwill that if I check something out that was disappointing, it's not going to be like, oh, they've lost it. Yeah, I'd be like, no, this is an outlier. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. We should do a SpectreVision Appreciation Station sometime. Nab all the ones that we haven't talked about. Like, like, you like the boy, girl walks home alone at night. Did we cover... Oh, we covered cooties. Did we? We did cover cooties. It was for fuck them kids. For fuck them kids, yeah. That's right. Someone has my copy of cooties, and I don't know who. I should offer it to uh, my my supervisor from last term. She she's in quarantine right now because they because of her kids. No, they um she and her family. She was on vacation for a week and left the country. Oh fuck! Okay, of course. So and she and she was telling me like when she found out that we have a horror podcast and stuff. She's like, she's like, I don't know why, but I love like evil kid movies. We definitely have to get her a copy of cookies. (laughs) Oh, we should definitely get her a copy of cookies. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Of course, yeah, she's at home with her kid right now, so and he's like three, so probably not appropriate viewing. <laughs> oh, you're stuck home alone with the kid who's potentially annoying? Here's a copy of the Babadook. Yeah, no, Here's don't. Here's a copy of House by the Cemetery. Actually, one, one thing that she was talking about recently, because, um, yeah, it's one funny thing that we're working with a bunch of psychologists who are also parents, and some of the stuff they talk about, they say about their kids is hilarious. But um, she was saying that her kiddo, at the time at least, his thing that he was really like worried about he's like it's like mom what if like what if you turn bad oh then don't show uh, i wasn't saying show him the movie i was saying show her, <laughs> show her the, the movie. movie okay <laughs> but yeah <laughs> oh and that's she's like so how mean. yeah because yeah, she's like how do i tell him that like that's not gonna happen when in the movies like you know frozen or like you know whatever kid stuff that always happens and the yeah. character's always like oh it's not gonna happen i'll always love you until they don't yeah and how do you explain to kids like yeah that doesn't really happen but kid until logic. it does until it does yeah. yeah so yeah maybe maybe no cooties for him <laughs> uh, so this is our first sort of pandemic episode kind of thing Live from the isolation chamber. Um, I feel like we decided to, we made a very conscious decision to not do anything actually specifically pandemic related Mm -hmm. because maybe people listening to podcasts when they're stuck at home, not doing much, just want that escapism. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Let us know on Twitter. If you want us to cover pandemics and stuff like that, we'll do a pandemic episode. Um, 
next week I'm thinking we're doing our sort of solidarity with Italy episode. That'll be that'll be good. You know, <laughs> the Italian diaspora. Yeah, solidarity North of North America from Italy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess before we get to that, we do have some recommendations, don't we? Yes, we we do. All right, what have you got for us this week? I am going to go with one of the movie, or I guess a movie that we watched for the original iteration of this episode and then didn't end up fulfilling, so we'll cover it another time. It is 1988's The Blob. Yeah, uh, that was a hard one to sort of cut because that Mm -hmm. movie was so good. Yeah. It's like, well, we're not really cutting it. We're just not discussing it We'll do it later. Yes. Have to. No, that movie's so much fun. Uh, one of my favorite... It's funny, it's one of my favorite makeup movies that I always kind of forget mm. is one of those, like... You know, everyone's like, oh, the transformation from American Werewolves, the, the right. thing and all that stuff. It's like, watch the blog. Yes. Like, you know, it's up there for Absolutely. what it pulls off. Yeah, 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 totally. Especially because uh, learning about how the effects lead guy, this was like his first big movie yeah it was and it's so just unreal ridiculously given impressive how, how good the effects are yeah like, he'd I, had little bit jobs like i think he played he did the uh bottom half of a zombie that's walking around in return of the living dead 2 and he did like a couple <laughs> things like that or he did like the uh remember the half zombie in return of the living dead that's stuck on the tables like it hurts to be dead Oh, yeah, I, I think, think so. I think he did that effect. Okay. Um, but, like, his first big job of, like, this is an effects-heavy movie, go for it. First time out of the gate, and this is what he delivered. It's yeah, unreal. I would have never guessed this was, like, I would assume it was some, like, master, yeah. like, effects house or something. Yeah. Lots of twists and turns in this one, too. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a gooder. It is. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. That That's, um... I look forward to discussing it at a later date. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say I look forward to watching it, but it's like we just watched it. Well, well depending on how long we go, we, we might we might have to rewatch it. You won't have to twist Shuck my arm started. to rewatch this movie. Right. Yeah, you won't have to twist mine either, I promise. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic. Cool. You somehow couldn't tell from the tone of my voice. Yeah, and that fits the theme because it is started with a meteor out of space. Yes, my, um, that's right. My recommendation is also a meteor from space that kicks things off. I'm going to recommend 1983's The Deadly Spawn. Mm -hmm. This is one of those really low-budget, low-rent indie kind of flicks where it's like people in a farmhouse attacked by an alien creature, but again, it's the effects that sell it because there's this big monster puppet crashing through doors in the house and it's like living in the basement and all that. And you can tell it's low budget, but in a way where you got to love their gusto, where it's nice. just like, oh, you really went out of your way to do the best you could with this. And it really shows. In a way that you and love I don't, to see. I don't mean in like a pat you on the back, at least you tried way. Like mm-hmm. it's effective and it's good. Nice. But it's one of those things where it's just given what you maybe take as being a bit of a lower budget movie, it really kind of outshines other movies that may be in this sort of similar class as it. Hmm. It's a good one. I'm I'm waiting for a really nice restoration. I believe Synapse Films owns the rights, mm. and their restorations are cash it, money. I so. trust them. Yeah. It's in good hands. Yep. Well, that'll do it for us this week. I mm-hmm. uh, hope everyone's staying safe out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess just a little message on everything that's going on is uh, it might feel paranoid for some of our listeners there to really like, oh shit, there's a pandemic going on. I've got to, I've got to isolate myself. I've got to take care not to spread it when maybe you feel fine or it's not going to hit you so hard, but you want it to feel paranoid at the end of the day. Yeah. You want to look back and say like, wow, that was overblown. You don't want to look back and say, oh fuck, we should have done this, this, and this to prevent 
thousands 100%, of deaths. Hundred percent. I would rather be paranoid than, you know, like doing the wrong thing. Yeah, no, this is one instance where like the hypervigilance and stuff is actually pretty adaptive. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll be here putting out our content uh, every week, I hope. (laughs) Um, Fingers crossed. And uh, yeah, uh, I guess while you're trapped up inside, you just got to take it easy and keep it sleazy. And be fucking loser shut-ins like us. Hell yeah. For your country. For the people. (laughs) For the common good. Yes. For society. Make a contribution to society. Because society waits for you so you can wait for society. Fuck yes.